Amen. Uh, Usher's is going to come forward. Let's give out how God has given us. If you're new here uh, and you got that connection card that you should have been handed as you walked in today, we'd love it if the ne- in the next half hour you filled that thing out. And then as you leave today, we're going to have some really nice people on your right who have a gift for you because you matter to us and you made this place matter to you today. Uh, so we want to give you something to take home as our thanks so much for joining us. Uh, and as you head straight out, there are two things uh, that apply for next Sunday. One of those is our new here lunch. Uh, if you feel like you're new here, and you look urge you to the way that we do things and who was on stage and all that stuff uh, and you'd like to know and you would like to know more I encourage you to sign up for the new here lunch it's going to be half an hour uh, next week free food our way of saying thanks so much for being part of who we are here's what we're about here's what we're going after uh, and you can learn all about that if you've done the new here lunch or you've been here for a while uh, I want to invite you to Mountain View 101 that's our membership lunch uh, gives you the history and the future of Mountain View Church and what we're after what really gets us excited and so I encourage you to sign up for one of those, whichever one applies more to you. Uh, Childcare is available at both, and lunch is available at both, which is love in every single language. Uh, so that's going to be a good thing for us. This uh, should have been handed to you also as you walked in. This is our missions giving brochure. So two weeks from now, uh, we're going to take a missions offering, and this thing details everywhere where it goes. Uh, Some of the stuff is local. Some of it are countries that look like you typed with your fist uh, because they're nowhere near here. Uh, And it's all areas that as a church we're invested in. uh, And this is our chance as a church body to make an investment in God's work in places that we may never ever set our feet, but we can give towards what God is doing there. Uh, So here's all the information. Come ready to give in two weeks. Uh, It's a lot easier to give when you make a plan to give and start saving two weeks ahead of time instead of going, oh gosh, that's today. What do I do? Uh, So that's going to be an awesome thing. Today, as I said, uh, we're going to close differently. Uh, We're going to have our prayer ushers up here and their job is to serve you and ask God, okay, what do you want to tell insert your name here. We believe that God knows us, loves us from the inside out, and there's no amount of grossness or goodness that we could bring in here where God's like, I can't touch that. But we believe that our God loves us intimately, and within that, there's nothing more that he wants to do than to share that with us, wants to bring us to that. I heard a story a while ago, um, that centers perfectly on that idea that God actually wants to talk to you and the passage that we're going to look at today. Uh, somebody decided they were going to kayak, which sounds like fun, from, from California to Hawaii, which does not sound like fun anymore. Like that is way too far. We have invented airplanes. That is a bad idea. Uh, and before they left, the person who was writing the article about him, they asked them, like, are you scared about this? What frightens you about this? And I would think like, I don't know, weeks on end by myself with a stick. Like, that's all. That sounds like a horrible existence. But this person was really excited. And they're like, the thing that I'm nervous about most is getting off a little bit in my measurements because a little bit over 10 feet, no big deal. A little bit off like one-tenth of a degree between here and Hawaii, and you could completely miss Hawaii. You could kayak your way completely past Hawaii without seeing it. Now, I haven't been to Hawaii since I was one, but I've seen pictures. Those are some ginormous mountains. You have to be off by a really long ways to completely miss the mountains. Like Stevie Wonder could swim by and say, huh, there are mountains nearby. Like, but, but to be so stinking that far off that you totally miss the mountains, that's really far off. But the guy's point is correct. Like if you get off by a little bit at the beginning, you multiply that over the amount of feet between California and Hawaii, and you could completely miss it. You could end up somewhere totally different. And what we're going to look at is the life of a person who started out following God, 
but they were off in a little bit. And you multiply that little bit over years and years and years and lots of effort and lots of conversations and lots of decisions. And that little bit ended him up at a completely different place than where he expected to be. And I think this is a good thing for us to look at this story today. Because all of us think things about God. All of us have understandings about God. And I'm wondering if some of the things that we've believed about God, some of the understandings that we've had about God, some of our plans that we make about how God is going to work with us somehow went wrong a long time ago. And now what we're working at is trying to unpack and dig back and come back to the God of the Bible, the God that sent Jesus for us, the God who loves us deeper and more intimately than we could ever be comfortable with. Even that idea, intimate, that God loves you intimately, that's like, no thanks. That just sounds weird. But the the thing about it is God's love for us is pure and new and good every single day. And he exposes that to us. He shows that to us in the person of Jesus. And so we're going to look at this today. Story of a guy who got everything wrong because he was off by a little bit at one point. We're going to be in Luke 8, or Luke 7, 36 to 50. It's 15 verses. It's kind of a long story. So buckle up. It's story time. Here we go. Luke 7, 36. One of the Pharisees, which is a stiff religious person, asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful jar of a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them with her hair. And then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who invited him invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. And then Jesus answered his thoughts. He said, Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I've got something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Like he's waiting for this to be a buildup where he gets to be the hero because he's done everything right. He's the holy person. He's definitely not like the woman who walked in and ruined his party. And Jesus told him a story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon replied, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. And then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust off my feet, but she's washed them with not stops and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. And then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's a great story. Simon is, is this person. He's the stiff religious guy. He needed to be saved from his cold heart toward Jesus' love for sinners. Like the title of today is Jesus, the friend of sinners. And for him, that's a curse. For him, that's something that doesn't, that doesn't add up in his mind because his picture of who God is supposed to be and who God with skin on in the person of Jesus should be is he should hate sinners. 
Like he should be against them. He should hate everything that they do. And so that when, when that's patch, matched up against you and me and the things that we do that are less than what God created us to do sometimes, Simon is saying, like, God, you should be against those people. And Simon, or God, Jesus is saying, no, 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 you need to be saved from that. You need to be saved from your cold heart towards Jesus' love for sinners. Simon grew up with this idea that holiness for him meant running away from everything in the world that was bad. Which it does, but, but there's a point where we, we miss that because we miss God's love for people in that. We are created to run from evil. We need to run from sin. But what we can't miss along the way is people. Simon had lost track of God's love for people. That God calls us to run from sin, calls us to do everything we can to get away from it. But in the meantime, what Simon does, he had completely lifted himself out of society, out of any opportunity to make a difference. Any opportunity to show love to people. His idea of holiness was separation from the world. His idea of spiritual growth was making sure that, that you're better than everyone else around you. And for him, life with God was marked by things that he would avoid. Because at that point, like following Jesus, being part of a church, and especially growing in your faith was different. For, for him, it meant that a rabbi, like a spiritual leader person, would pick someone to follow him. So a rabbi would pick young men that, that they're going to do life learning to do things the way that the rabbi would do. And if you didn't get picked, it's over for you. Never mind, you can try as hard as you can, but you can't ever become a rabbi. So Simon at one point had been chosen, and that changed his heart. It showed him that he's worthy, and as a result, everybody else was unworthy. And so he spends his life trying to play catch-up. He spends his life trying to do more than everyone else. He spends his life just making sure that he looked better than everyone else around him. And if you think, you know what, that, that's definitely not me. It's definitely not my problem. Like, I want everything to look good, but I'm never going to make anybody else feel bad. I'm not going to be one of those people. You know, what, you know who can identify that in you? Is everyone else around you. Like, we are disqualified from making this judgment on ourselves. We have to ask people around you, am I this guy? Because for some of us, we are totally this person. We try to live our lives to make sure that we look better than everyone else. And this person in the story completely misses the point of what Jesus does. The person who gets it is the least likely person to get it. And that's this person who's only known as the immoral woman. Like, we never learn her name. There's no backstory in this. All we learn is Simon is showing, a, he's throwing a big party, and it gets ruined by the least likely guest. The person who should have never showed up in Simon's mind, but Jesus is in charge of the whole thing. So he brings this immoral woman into the picture. He set it up beforehand to prove his point, to prove his love for sinners. And so the immoral woman, she showed up and she acted on her need to be saved by the God who forgives sinners. Like, think about it. There's a stiff religious person who's throwing a religious party, making sure that Jesus is invited so that he knows how special he is and especially knows how special his host, Simon, is. And Jesus shows up and everything's going well. And Simon doesn't make too big of a deal about him. He wants Jesus to feel lowly, so he makes sure that Jesus has to treat himself like a slave, walk in, wash his own feet, take some oil, put it on his head, do all these things that a slave would have to do. And then guess who shows up? The one person in town that he didn't want to show up. Your crazy uncle shows up at the party that you had created and invited all the good people to. And crazy uncle Bernie shows up and you're like, what's going on? Why are you here? The whole idea is that the immoral one shows up because Jesus came to forgive sinners. 
Like it's, it, it's this woman who's only known in her society for being dirty, for being defiled, for being a publicly bad woman. We take for what that is now today and then you rewind it 2,000 years back to the point where women, where God's daughters were viewed as property, not as humans, but as property. And that person walks into a gathering of holy men and there's a sudden <gasps> inhale. Why is she here? What's going on? And Jesus is sitting there in charge of the whole entire thing because he set it up because he's got something he wants to show. I think for us as a church, I want us to be that type of church where somebody walks in, anybody walks in and we're welcoming people into a party of worship and repentance that every single one of us are sinners in need of a savior, that, that we don't come here on our own worth. We don't come here on our own merit. We're not walking in here because we're good enough, but because Jesus was good on our behalf. He was faithful when we were faithless. He did the right thing when we did the wrong thing. He was perfect when we were totally imperfect. And because of that, we get to respond to Jesus. We get to be here today. And the reason that this woman is welcomed, the we, maybe for the first reason that we read about her in a positive light, maybe for the first time in her whole life, maybe for the first time ever she's a good example, is because she walks in with absolutely nothing. She's not coming in bringing her list of things that she's done. She's not coming in bringing, well, I haven't sinned in 48 years. Like, she's known for her sin. That is the only thing that we know about her, is she's a sinner. And she walks in and begins to act on that in front of Jesus in a positive way. Because our sin gets really, really real to us when we're in God's presence. Because Jesus came to forgive sin, came to deal with sin. And as we look in Luke, which is the book we've been going through for the, fa for the past few weeks, when these ordinary people get face-to-face -face with Jesus and they experience the holiness of God for the first time, their first reaction is, man, I'm way too much of a sinner to be around you because it's real to them. The, the depravity, the lostness of each one of us is real in God's presence. And instead of using that as something to push her away, she says, I've got absolutely nothing, so what I do have, I'm gonna give to you, Jesus. So the story tells us she's, she's kneeling down at his feet. This is before shoes, this is before pavement, this is before using a car that doesn't leave waste on the street. So she is right down next to Jesus's Dirty, stinky, sweaty, animal-pooped feet. And she's pouring perfume over them. It's a huge jar. The way that it's described, this is probably her dowry. That means it's a gift that her family gives to her husband's family when they get married. So what she's done is she's broken her future, and she's poured it out over Jesus' feet. She's broken her appeal as a wife and given it over to Jesus. She's broken her sense of, I am going to be a good enough perspective wife for someone in a culture where she was considered property. She's broken her personhood and poured it out for Jesus. This is extravagant worship that she's pouring out for Jesus. After that, it, it's wet, and so she's using her tears, which are, are heart water, as one person calls it. She's laying out before Jesus, cleaning Jesus' feet with her heart water. This is deep. This isn't just motions. This is her engaging emotionally with the Jesus who came to save her. And then it says that she took down her hair. Like, there's another person who explains uh, stuff about dress in church, and he says that a woman's glory is her hair. Thank goodness it's not that way for us, for us men. But, uh, right, Steve-O? That's right, buddy. But she takes down her hair. 
which is glory, which is intimacy, which is an idea of covering herself. So she's uncovered before Jesus and she starts cleaning his disgusting feet with her hair because she's come face to face with the God of forgiveness, the God of mercy, the God of a new life. You know, there's two people in that room, one person who's stiff, one person who's always done everything right, one person whose life reads like a Hall of Fame stat sheet where he's like, I've done all these things. And then the other side, it's the person not even known by her name. She is the immoral woman. And there's one person there who left justified before God because they realized who Jesus was and they realized that Jesus could do what they could not do in all of their trying hard and all of their doing the right thing. One person there left justified before God. And Jesus explains that to him in a story. He says, two people owe a large debt. One of them owes 50 pieces of silver. That's like a paycheck for us. If one of us lost our paycheck tomorrow, that would stink. We'd be eating lots of Top Ramen. We'd be spicing it with a little bit of water and spending as little gas as possible. Like we are hoofing it everywhere. 1981 Chevrolet legs everywhere that we go. We're just walking it. No more spending money on gas. But two weeks later, we'd be okay. The other person owes 500 pieces of silver. It's an extra zero. That's not just one paycheck for us. That's half a year's worth of paycheck. Okay, that happens and you're moving into a refrigerator box. Like that's bad news for all. Six months windows, gone. That's why Dave Ramsey is a thing because he's saying like, hey, you, you live out this parable and lose 500 pieces of silver, six months payment. That's why you have your baby steps and your uh, emergency fund saved up and all that stuff. But he's saying like, if this happened, who would love God more? The person who lost a paycheck or a person who lost half of their year's worth? And the of course answer is the person who lost six months of work, gone. That means you're not getting paid again till April. That's bad news for all of us. He's saying, who loves more? Because neither of you can pay this back. Neither of you can make this paycheck magically show up again. And so Jesus puts this example in front of both people, or between, or in front of the woman who is only known for her sin and the guy who did everything he possibly could do to get known for what he had done right. He puts it out there in front of both of them. He says, do you see yourself in this story? You can't repay it. I'm going to pay it for you. And if you continue to live on your own ability to make yourself look good before Jesus, you're going to miss the entire point. You're going to be off by a little bit at the beginning, and then you're going to string it out over years and years and years, and you're going to miss, end up missing Hawaii and missing Jesus. And his point of the story is the point towards what he did for us. It's a debt that can't be repaid. It's two people who owe God something that they cannot pay. And it highlights the gospel. It highlights the good news about Jesus. That before he ever came, before anything was created, God knew you, God loved you, God had a plan for your life, and he knew that you would end up here today. Within that love, which will never go up, which will never go down, which is just constant, you are loved by God because you have a pulse. Because of that, God knows that all of us have sinned. God knows that we, at some point, stand in the shoes of the immoral woman. some point, we stand in the shoes of the stiff-necked religious person who doesn't like people, who's just lost in the rules and loses the relationship that fuels the rules. Somewhere, at some point, we're there. And what got to live so great and so world-changing for you and for me was God put skin on. God came to live among us in the person of Jesus 
to die a perfect death to cover our imperfect lives so that when God looks at you and me, he no longer sees the things that we've done. He no longer sees our brokenness. He no longer sees our addiction. He no longer sees our failure. He sees Jesus' perfect life poured out over us, painted over us like brush covering our lives. And the point is, is that Jesus pays our sin debt. For us to become Christians doesn't mean that for now we're going to live a certain way and dress a certain way and vote a certain way and all that stuff. It means that we realize that our sins have been paid for by Jesus and now with everything in us, we are running the opposite way as much as we can, but it's not by our powers, by Jesus' power who loves us, forgives us, and calls us to new life. Jesus is saying, I paid your sin debt. 500 pieces of silver or 50 pieces of silver doesn't matter because you couldn't pay it for yourself. And the woman in the story is acting on it. She's jumping on her opportunity to meet the God who forgives sinners. And so how do we respond to this? Jesus is calling both groups of people to life change. He's calling the religious sinners into a life of forgiveness, extravagant worship, and intimacy with God. Like Simon's problem in this wasn't the things that he does. It's his heart behind the whole thing. Simon's issue is his heart. Like he is one million percent in this, the guy who goes through the motions. Who shows up at church because that's what you're supposed to do. Who gives because that's what you're supposed to give and doesn't really serve because he doesn't like people. Like he is a million percent going through the motions. He's lost the, the, the object of his worship. He's lost, lost the fire behind worship. That it's an opportunity for him to engage with Jesus who's literally sitting in front of him and he, he's not going to be bothered by him. Jesus even details that. He's like, I walked in. I wanted some water for my disgusting feet. You didn't give me anything. It's hot. I wanted some oil for my head. You gave me nothing. I wanted a kiss, which is just weird. Let's be honest about this. But it's Jesus saying it. So for the next five minutes, it's okay. I wanted a kiss and he didn't kiss me. I say thank you, but that's all right. You didn't do any of this, man. You're going through the motions. You're missing Jesus. You're missing the encounter with God with skin on who's there to forgive you. I think in our world and our lives, it's so easy to do that. I mean, if church is a regular thing for you, if you're new here, everything is new, everything is different. But if you've been a Christian for any amount of time and you came here with other people in the car, like it is way too easy to miss out on the opportunity that we have to worship the God who loves us especially if you came with kids in the car. Because that means that there are people going crazy and maybe screaming behind you at some point that then you parked in the parking lot and you open the door and you have to get them somehow from the car into the kids' church room before you can become a Christian again. All right? Like, that's the struggle. There's a reason Anna and I take two cars in the morning because I don't want that life. Okay? So then we come in to sing about this God who loves us and wants to change us and wants to change everything about our lives, gives us a new life, gives us a new identity, and we bring about as much enthusiasm into it as we would bring to a funeral, specifically our own funeral. Like we're just spent by that point in service, even though it's only five minutes in. We're missing the opportunity to engage with the God who loves us. And that's exactly where Simon sits. And Jesus dangles forgiveness in front of him. Like, that's the part. Like, Jesus is calling a shot. He looks at the woman and says very plainly, your sins are forgiven. And Simon's like, I don't need that. This is gross. He shouldn't be forgiving her sins. He shouldn't be forgiving anyone's sins. All he has to do is ask for forgiveness. All he has to do is lower himself. He's not going to do it. Jesus is calling him to forgiveness, to worship, 
to intimacy with God, and he's like, I'm good. I'm good. For us as a church, we're, if you're totally new here, here's how the service usually ends on most weeks, is for people who aren't Christians, we give them an opportunity to become Christians. That applies to everyone here. If you're not a Christian, we want you to meet Jesus today. We want you to start following Jesus today. And if you do that today, what are you going to do next week? Okay, next week, you're going to come back. We're going to open God's Word. We're going to give people a chance to become Christians. And for everyone else, we're going to say, and this is how we continue to live this out. We give people a chance to come forward, to sit, to stand, to kneel at the front and say, okay, God, out of what we looked at, here's how I'm going to live differently. And the reason we do that is because we need to be reminded every single day of the fact that you and I came into our relationship with Jesus, whether it was last week or in the 50s, with a truckload of sin that Jesus needed to forgive. That none of us walked into a relationship with Jesus on our own stats that none of us walked into a relationship with Jesus because of what we have done and how great we are. We are sinners in need of a Savior, and Jesus brought us into relationship with him because he loves us. That keeps our hearts soft. It keeps us from growing stale and cold. And Jesus calls rebellious sinners. There's the religious people, and then there's rebellious people. Calls rebellious people into a life of forgiveness, faith, and new life. And he looks at the woman and he says, your sins are forgiven. And the way that the word is that he used and that was written down to describe the whole thing is it's a one-time thing that happens. He looks at her. He says, your sins are forgiven. On that day, that night, boom, everything gone. And then it continues to work its way out. It's a one-time event with an ongoing consequence. That every day she's going to wake up. She's not going to wake up as an addict. She's not going to wake up as the immoral woman. She's not going to wake up as the failure. She's not going to wake up as the person whose parents should never find out what she's done and who she's turned into. She's going to wake up as forgiven. Regardless of what happened the day before, regardless of how she fell back into whatever it was, she wakes up forgiven. And so she lives her life under the power of God as the Holy Spirit lives in her and gives her new desires new. to carry those things out. And then she goes to bed and she wakes up the next morning forgiven, remade, new. Morning after that, forgiven, remade, new. Forever and ever after that, she's waking up into the reality that Jesus says you are forgiven and then she lives out the power of that, lives out the glory of that, lives out the fresh new life from Jesus in that. And that's Jesus' mission from the beginning is to call people to him who were lost on their own. There's another party that Jesus got invited to. He got invited to all sorts of parties because people loved him because he was a loving person. And the religious guys, they never got invited because nobody liked them. Uh, so Jesus is at the party and the religious guys are outside because that's where they belong when nobody likes you. Uh, and they say, hey, Jesus, come on up. We have to ask you questions. Why are you hanging around the dirty people? Like you shouldn't be with them. You're God with skin on. Don't hang around disgusting people. Yet Jesus is hanging out with disgusting people right here today and uh, in that conversation as they're asking him questions. And he says something that's so foundational. He says, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Like that's exactly what happens in this party is somebody walks in who knows they're a sinner, who knows their need to repent. And the amount of, of life that it takes from them to visualize, to, to act out, to express that desire for repentance is crazy. Like she gives away her dowry. She comes completely undone before Jesus. She's crying at his feet so that we know that there's never a point where it's too far. We know that it's never a point where we can be too emptied of who we are in front of the presence of Jesus. 
This morning in Shape, which is our church's Bible reading and journaling plan as a church, we read the same few chapters and then journal about how this book that was written thousands of years ago, thousands of miles away, hits us today in as many different ways as there are people in the room who are doing it. Uh, and the verse that I picked out was uh, Matthew 5, 27 and 28, where Jesus is doing a big sermon, uh, and he says, you've heard it before, uh, that you shouldn't commit adultery, which is sex with someone that you're not married with, uh, and that's a good thing, we shouldn't do it. And Jesus says, but I'm going to give you a different rule. You shouldn't even look at a woman with lust in your heart because if you do that, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. Like Jesus ups to Annie. He says this is a million times better uh, than you think it is because your whole life, even your eyes are going to be given over to me, not just something that happens in one small area of your life. And then he gives them, he gives them a picture of what this looks like. He says it's better for you if you struggle with lust to gouge out your eye and throw it away and to go to heaven with one eye than it is to go to hell seeing perfectly through both. This woman lives that out. She's saying, it's better for me to, to empty myself of my future, empty myself of what any man would ever want in me, to give that to Jesus, to come completely undone, to be intimate with him on a personal, spiritual, soul level, and to express my heart in a way that other people are like, why is she here? It's better to do that than to keep it all buttoned up, keep everything good, and keep showing people that I've got it all together. Man, Jesus didn't come for those moments in our life when we've got it all together. This story is proof enough and motivation for us to feel and know and have a picture to jump in the story with and see, you know, if that woman met Jesus in her moment of complete undoneness, what's God gonna have for me today? It gives us the picture that says there's never a point that's too far. It gives us hope that says that there is still a God who forgives. There is still a God who, when we come to him in faith and say, I believe you, God, that you can change me, that you can give me a new life, a new future, a new identity, new forgiveness, that that's actually going to happen. His last words to the woman are, your faith has healed you. Your faith, your belief that I can actually change you is going to change you. And from there, she leaves to a new life. She leaves having met forgiveness. A woman who is known for her sin leaves being known for her holiness. Only Jesus can do that. The friend of sinners. A woman who had been touched before, but now she's touched out of love. Who had been spoken to before, but now she's got words of life, words of hope, words of love that are changing her because she met Jesus. Worship team is going to come up. The prayer ushers are going to make their way to the front. This is our chance to respond because we worship a God who knows us the way that God knew both people in that story. And what he offered both people in the story is an opportunity to get right with God. It's an opportunity to receive healing. You know what, you know what would have happened to Simon the Pharisee who had everything right, who organized the whole party perfectly so everybody would look at him and say, man, you are awesome, including Jesus. You know what would have happened to him if he would have said, you know what, Jesus, I screwed up. I've tried to push myself over other people like this woman too many times. I've tried to make myself look better than everybody else at their expense too many times. I've done too much of my life looking only at you and looking down at everybody else too many times. You know what would have happened to him if he would have halfway through the story, he said, you know what, Jesus, I recognize that I'm the person in the story you can't repay their debt. I realize that I'm the person who's gotten it all wrong. I realize that I'm the person who started off one degree off and ended up missing everything. You know what would have happened to him if he'd actually would have said that? He would have met forgiveness. He would have met Jesus. He would have met the God who loves him and invites him into a new life. 
invites him to leave his prison, to take off his shackles, and to find hope, to find freedom, to find life in the dead bones of stiff, always doing what you're supposed to do, religion. That's the Jesus I want us to meet. Let's stand and let's pray.